welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. We are living in a crisis, a global pandemic. And I know you know this because everyone has been affected by it. The world has changed overnight. And I've been thinking a lot about that crisis. What happens when we go through crisis? What happens when you experience suffering? My family um, and my wife and I, we have experienced multiple moments throughout our life that have been challenging, hardships. Uh, And what I've learned is that crisis clarifies what's important. If you allow it to, crisis will clarify what's important. In the past, when my son, uh, who who at the time he was six or seven weeks old, uh, got really ill and we spent a week in the hospital and he had a serious health condition and we didn't know what the outlook of the future would be. And I remember going through that crisis uh, and things that once mattered no longer mattered. Things that were uh, important no longer were as important. After that experience, we had to recognize that things um, before the crisis meant something to us, and then we experienced the crisis, and those, some of those things didn't mean anything anymore. Does that make sense? That crisis can help redefine, reshape what matters most. I guess what I'm wanting to encourage you to think about is this. Don't waste this crisis. Don't waste this crisis because God is doing something in the crisis. God is in this crisis with you and he's going to use it for good. This is what we see over and over again in the scriptures. Last week, we celebrated the resurrected Jesus Christ. We said together, he is risen. He is risen indeed. That's right. You got it right. At least you got it right this week. Easter Sunday is over, but That was a strange Easter. And I love what Barbara Johnson says. She says, we are Easter people living in a Good Friday world. We are Easter people living in a Good Friday world. We talked about how fear and failure and frustration are the hinges on the door of faith, trust, and surrender. And in the Greek, faith, trust, and hope are connected And I want to talk about this idea, but I want to talk about how we cultivate faith in the midst of crisis. How do we cultivate faith in the midst of crisis? What you see when you read scripture is that crisis is often the thing that uh, precedes renewal. That crisis will bring about change, good or bad. But in scripture, what you see is that crisis creates a space that produces uh, fruit, if you allow it to. Crisis creates a space that produces fruit in your life. This is why, brothers and sisters, we must learn to be resilient disciples in this moment. We need to be followers of Jesus who have learned um, to withstand and recover from difficult circumstances or events quickly. Have you ever noticed that in scripture? Crisis or um, in particular, uh, isolation tends to bring about greater revelation. Have you seen that? I've been been, uh, meditating on this concept of what the desert produces in the scriptures. What you see 
is that the desert in the Old Testament and in the New Testament is seen as a place of testing, a place of dependence, a place of formation and growth. Um, When the Israelites enter into the desert, it's there that they understand who God is, they're grounded in their identity, and they rediscover or they discover for the first time their purpose for the world. And the same is true for Jesus in his journey in the 40 days in the wilderness. I was thinking about the, uh, David in the Old Testament. There was a time in his life, the King, King David, before he had the crown, David was being hunted by Saul. He was hiding. And it says that he hides in a cave, the cave of Adullam. And it's there in isolation and in the crisis that he experiences incredible fruit and revelation of who God is. He runs for his life. He lives in a cave. And then out of that experience, we get Psalm 18 which says this, verse one, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. That psalm is a revelation of who God is to David and to all of us that in his isolation, he was given revelation of God. He used that space to experience a greater encounter with God. But we see this with others as well. The Apostle Paul, which we're gonna talk about in a little bit, he encountered Jesus on the Damascus Road and he became a missionary around the world. And eventually he's planting churches all over the Roman Empire and then he gets caught and he's put into prison and he's under Roman guard. And he writes while he's in prison the letters of Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. It's in prison that Paul writes the letter, a lot of the letters in the New Testament. And it's in prison we get this revelation from Paul about identity, and I love it. Because what Paul says is our identity as followers of Jesus is found in Christ. Our identity is found in Christ. It's not in your family. It's not in your work. It's not in your career or in your money or in your vacation. It's not in the church. It's not in anything that you could possibly make it about. It's found in Christ. And Paul will say in Colossians that our life, our life is hidden in Jesus himself. Isn't that amazing? That While Paul is in prison, he's saying his identity is anchored not in his circumstances, but in Jesus himself. Later, the apostle John will be exiled on the island of Patmos, and he will have um, this revelation. Literally, he will write the letter of revelation, but he will have a revelation of um, his dwelling place. He says his dwelling place is in the heavenly realms. It's not here. He is communing with God in the heavenly places. This comes to him from the place of isolation, a place of crisis. You see, I believe crisis can produce great fruit in your life. We see it in the life of David, Paul, and John, that their seasons of isolation were given revelation, knowledge of God, revelation of identity, but revelation of vocation, purpose, and mission as well. So what if during the global pandemic, the church flourished? What if in this moment where 
We don't know when things will get back to normal. What if the uncertainty in this crisis, the church becomes more fully alive? What if we became more connected, more faithful, more filled with joy and kindness than ever before? What if we were more generous? What if we were more missional in everything we did like we've never been before? What if the church comes fully alive? What if God brings about renewal to the society renewal to society, and what if he brings about revival to the church while we're in this crisis? Could this be the moment we've been praying for? That while we are physically isolated, we are globally connected. While we feel that we are trapped, God wants to do something significant in the world through the church right now, in your home, in your life, through you. That's what I think he's doing. I think God wants to raise up an army and release the church to be wild and free in this moment. Can you, will you give me an amen? (laughs) It's weird not having you with me in person. So if you wanna say amen, hallelujah, if you wanna text me amen or hallelujah during the sermon, I'll take it or shoot me an email. It will help me tremendously. Now, here's what I wanna talk about. How do we cultivate faith in the crisis. For the next few minutes we have together, I just want to talk about this. I want to talk about three practices that cultivate faith during crisis. What can we do now, today, in this moment, to help steward the moment we're in, the crisis we're in, so that we come out of it with greater faith? That's what I'm hoping to teach on today. So Lord, help me. Number one is to repurpose. I want you to repurpose the crisis. Now, here's where this is coming from. Paul is imprisoned. In the, uh, the letter to Phil, uh, the church in Philippians, um, the church in Philippi, excuse me, the Philippian letter, Paul is seen as imprisoned and he writes to the church this compelling moment. And I just want you to, to, to hear what's said in Philippians chapter one, verse 12. He says, now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard, the Roman soldiers, and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul is saying that what has happened to him, the circumstances of going from traveling the world, proclaiming the gospel, now being shackled and in chains and imprisoned, Paul is saying that God has repurposed his imprisonment for God's purposes. God has repurposed the circumstances of his life for God's purposes of evangelism, of spreading the gospel to the whole palace guard. Do you see what's happened? His perspective has changed. This isn't stopping the gospel from being spread. This is furthering the gospel from being spread. God uses the imprisonment of Paul to spread the gospel to the Roman world. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that incredible that God will use even things like prison to empower God's purposes for the world? If it wasn't for Paul going, to the, the, uh, going into prison, we wouldn't have the letters of Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. I mean, this is so amazing that 
What Paul chooses to see is how God wants to work in our lives. And one of the things he wants to do for you is bring about greater revelation of his purposes in your life. That God will repurpose the crisis, repurpose the circumstances for his purposes. He wants to take what's come at you and he wants you to live with a state of peace to know that he's in it with you. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's challenging. I get it. We are all experiencing this crisis in different ways. That whether if you're single, you're experiencing the crisis in a unique way than if you're married. And if you're married with kids, you're experiencing it different than if you don't have kids. Some of you have lost your jobs. Some of you are sick with COVID-19. Some of you have lost family members and relatives to this virus. We are all experiencing this global tragedy in different ways. Some of us are thriving, excelling. Our businesses are growing. Look, we're all experiencing this differently. But I do know that God wants to empower you in this, in this time to use the crisis, to repurpose it for his purposes. I believe he wants to move you from being a victim to circumstances, feeling powerless over what has come at you, and allow God into that space so that he can use what's happening for his glory, for his purpose. This is what Paul sees, that what's happened in this thing, you would think that Paul going to prison would stop the gospel from being spread, but instead, Paul evangelizes the Roman soldiers that are holding him captive. In fact, he will say, uh, Caesar household says hello, essentially. So brothers and sisters, we have to recognize that circumstances might happen to us, but God wants to repurpose them for his glory and purpose. Are you with me? He, so if you wanna know, God, what are you doing? Ask him. Spend some time asking God, what are you doing in this season? What are you doing in my life in this time? What do you want to do? What do you want me to focus on? How can I repurpose this crisis for your glory and purpose, for your mission in my life? Now, this can go many directions. For me, one of the things, or some of the things that have bubbled up in this is um, all of my brokenness. It's interesting that being quarantined with my family, not having the release valves of getting out in the world and doing the things I used to do, there's all sorts of brokenness that are bubbling up. Things like I want to control things. I like to control my six and two-year-old who are children who have a mind of their own. And when that doesn't happen, I get impatient and I get irritable and I get angry and I lose my temper. Over the last couple of weeks, I have been having, I have been apologizing more frequently than ever before because I am a mixed bag. And what I'm choosing to do is repent and recognize that the gift of this quarantine is not that um, I'm a terrible person, but that God wants to take my brokenness and the things that might be ugly and make them beautiful. And, t- and, and renew my soul. And I'm choosing to repent and not to enter into this place of shame. Oh, I'm a terrible person. But recognize, man, there's all this bad stuff coming out. But it's okay because God is a loving God who gives me grace. So I'm repurposing my impatience and recognizing that in this time, God wants to train me in patience. God wants to train me with joy 
and um, release of outcomes. I really believe God wants to repurpose this time for his glory and purposes. And in this, for me, it's becoming the person I was designed to be in the first place. Maybe that's your story. Maybe God wants to train you. I don't know what it is, but I do know he can repurpose this time. He can empower you um, for his glory. And he could use whatever is coming at you for good. That's the promise of the scripture. So number one is repurpose. Number two, I believe um, we can reorder in the crisis. I believe God wants us to reorder in the crisis. I believe what we need to do to build faith, to cultivate faith, is to reorder our lives around the way of Jesus. In this time, we need to learn uh, to develop and um, uh, commit to sustainable rhythms of life with God. This is a, a unique time because there's way more time at home. We are, some of us have lost jobs and we have all this time. And I believe um, that, it, that what we need to do in this moment is, is to be intentional, is to slow down and ask the Lord, what do, you want us to, what do you want me to do with the time that I have? And Paul gives us some instructions in Ephesians chapter five. He writes to the church in Ephesus and he says, be very careful, excuse me, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So Paul writes to the church and then he says to the church, look, I want you to be careful how you live. Live intentionally, in other words, as wise, not unwise. And he wants us to make the most of every opportunity, not to live in, uh, foolishly, but to learn to l- understand what God's will is. So he wants us to be intentional. He wants us to examine our lives and come under a, a new way of living as we're followers of Jesus. You see, we have a natural default setting. Our way of life it has a, a, there's a current that, for, that, that shapes us into who we are becoming. That current is filled with unintentional habits. We choose to do things unintentionally because we have a natural default setting. Things like unrestricted access to TV in our phones or emails. When we choose to not be intentional with our time, time will just take over and the default setting, whatever that is, will just move us along. So for use to not waking up early and, and having time with God or, or creating a, a rhythm of rest and Sabbath of not working if we're regularly on our phones and we're constantly distracted, that those habits will shape us. That unintentionality will shape us. And I believe we must learn to reorder in this time, to reorder our lives around the way of Jesus. And what I mean by that simply is to go back to the basics. Church, we need to get back to the basics. We need to do quiet time. We need to wake up early, spend time in the word of God, pray, um, practice silence and solitude, practice discipline of being intentional in community where we are confessing our sins to one another, where we're sharing our hearts, where we're showing up and being vulnerable and authentic. Some of you are not in community. Some of you don't have a regular commitment to community. In the same way, others of you don't have a regular commitment to solitude. You might be alone, but you're not practicing solitude. 
Solitude is the intentional space you create to be alone with God, to quiet the noise of the world, to quiet the noise of the world that's with your phone and connected with you all the time, and to be still before the Lord and be present to him, to commune with God. You see, I I think we need to get back to the basics. Prayer, scripture, community, silence, solitude, generosity, Sabbath. I think the Lord wants to shape us into disciples who are resilient, and that will require us being intentional with the time that we have. My wife and I have been talking about this for the first month of quarantine, or first three weeks, excuse me. It was chaotic. We were transitioning our church. We, um, we had already been homeschooling Ezra, and we were, now had ki- um, the kids you know, without support, without date nights, without my mom coming over to watch the kids, without childcare. And um, we both worked for the garden, and it was, it was a crazy season. And what we decided to do is, hey, let's look at our calendar, Let's slow down. Let's make sure we have rest. When do we stop working? When is the phone going away? Um, what's, what's our rule for technology? Um, and, and what are the things that we do that are gonna sustain this season? Because we don't know how long we're gonna be in the season. So brothers and sisters, reorder your life around the way of Jesus. Reorder your life in the crisis. Create sustainable rhythms to empower your life to flourish. Um, If you're looking for resources, go onto our website. We have resources for you on this stuff. The third thing I wanna say is to rejoice. First is to um, repurpose the crisis. Second is to reorder. And third is to rejoice through the crisis. I think we have an opportunity to show the world uh, what faith looks like in the midst of uncertainty. And what faith looks like when there's a lot of bad news, when there's a lot of loss and suffering, rather than reacting, rather than just responding in the crisis and anxiety, we can, res- we can choose to rejoice in the crisis, rejoice through the crisis. Philippians 4, at the end of Philippians, Paul says this amazing line, um, a couple of verses in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, he says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer uh, and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy or good at all, think about these things. Whatever you have learned and received or heard from me or seen in me, put put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. The command to the church is to choose joy, to choose joy despite the circumstances. Whatever comes your way, we as followers of Jesus have placed our faith in an ultimate reality that God is real, that God is good, the Father is in a good mood and he is pleased with us and he loves us and he likes us and the story goes he created this good and beautiful world. It got corrupted through sin but he has been redeeming and reconciling it ultimately 
ultimately through Jesus and the cross. And then ultimately, once again, it says in Revelation, heaven will come and marry earth and we will be with God for the rest of eternity. Brothers and sisters, whatever happens to us, we know how the story ends. Therefore, we can stand on on our faith, we can live in the reality that the end is good, that God is with us, and that we can choose joy no matter what happens, even when it's hard, even when we lost our job, even when we don't know what's going to happen to us physically. We can choose to let the joy of the Lord be our strength. Come on, are you with me? The joy of the Lord will be our strength. I think joy is a counter-formational practice. It is a counter-formational practice to rejoice in crisis. And I think that's, the enemy wants to shrink us. The enemy wants to crush your spirit. So when uh, uncertainty comes at you, when you feel afraid, when things aren't going well, what you can do is write down all the good and begin to shout out to the Lord all the good and sing joy and, and rejoice in the Lord to have a dance party as a counterformational discipline against the world of uncertainty and fear. You see, this is what I think what it means to rejoice, that to operate, to, to choose to live in the space of the kingdom reality. To choose to put yourself in the flow of the kingdom is to choose joy even when circumstances are hard. Are you with me? A few years ago, I um, was on a road trip to Colorado with five other guys, and we stopped for breakfast somewhere, and I remember um, that my wife called me in panic because the bathroom was overflowing with water, and so I had to get, get being, I was in Colorado, I had to call a plumber, and we didn't know, we were freaking out, we didn't know if the plumbing was going to cost us $100 or $10,000. But I remember after um, calling the plumber and setting the appointment, this, I was overwhelmed with fear, overwhelmed with fear about finances. I felt immediately this um, uh, enormous sense of, of scarcity was filling my mind. Like, we don't have enough. And I like hang up the phone and I felt this overwhelming sense of fear. Like, we're gonna go broke. And I remember right away, God said, why don't you step into my kingdom? I heard him say, step into my kingdom. And then I, I had this, this thought, my kingdom is abundant and there's more than enough. My kingdom is not one of scarcity. And it was like I had, an, I had a moment, I had to choose. Do I choose to live in the reality of the kingdom, which is about abundance, or do I choose to live in the fear and scarcity of what might not be here, or what's not enough? And in that moment, I had this thought pop into my head, go and pay for the breakfast. I'm about to get a bill from a plumber. I don't know if it's $100 or if it's gonna be $10,000, but the discipline to align my mind and my heart to the reality of the kingdom, the discipline of the moment was generosity. I had to choose to live in the generosity of the kingdom because I was fighting against the false kingdom of scarcity. Are you with me? Sometimes we need in the midst of crisis to step into the kingdom of God as a discipline and rejoice. Rejoicing in our circumstances is that discipline. What does that look like for you? Some of you need to throw some dance parties at night with your kids. Some of you need to turn the music on and start dancing to I got this feeling inside my bones. It's electric, baby, when I turn it on. 
I'm not gonna put that on for you. But you need to get out and dance. You need to sing. Some of you need to get the china out of the closet and make every meal a special meal because we're celebrating in the crisis that God is good and he's with us. So let's get the china out. Let's throw feasts. Let's throw feasts and then do Zoom meetings and celebrate all that God is doing in the midst of this crisis because God wants us to live in his kingdom. And in his kingdom, there's more than enough. He is with us. He wants to repurpose our crisis. He wants to help us reorder our life around the sustainable rhythms of grace. And he wants us to choose joy because his kingdom is full of joy. And our God is the most joyful being alive. So brothers and sisters, that's what I have for you today. I know we're in this crisis, but we're in it together. And I wanna encourage you to use this crisis. Don't waste the crisis. Make sure that you repurpose it, that you reorder your life, and you rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.